several people have asked me to write down my personal testimony. Now, trying to write it down is akin to trying to climb a mountain. It's a journey that one day I will endeavor to undertake when I'm strong enough. But for now I will record as short as possible the highlights of how I came to know my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Before we do, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I will never be able to thank you for what you've done. I should have been dead so many times. I was lost. I got myself into so many tight spots. And you were always there next to me. Why, I will never know. I have done nothing to deserve your love. But you have been so good to me. Thank you, Father. Amen. I grew up in a household where um, fights were normal. People screaming at each other, people yelling, calling each other names was nothing strange. So when my grandfather died and we moved to my grandma, The way in which she mourned the passing away of my late grandfather was something inspirational. Don't get me wrong, she was sad. No, she was broken. She was shattered. She had just lost her, her best friend. He wasn't just her lover. He wasn't just her husband. He was her life. But the way in which she cried was different. There was something in her tears that I have never seen in tears before. Something made her smile. There was something about her and I wanted that something. So I started watching her. One morning early I slipped into her bedroom and I heard her pray. What caught me was she wasn't talking to a distant ruler of a distant galaxy. She wasn't talking to someone in heaven. She was talking to somebody that was standing inside that room. I looked around. The air got really, really cold. There was no one, but then it dawned on me. Jesus was there. 
He was with her, even though we couldn't see him. She wasn't talking to the king of the universe. She wasn't talking to someone about going to heaven, forgiving her sins, or she was talking to somebody that understood her nightmares. She was talking to somebody that shared in her pain and her suffering. Jesus wasn't just her God. This was personal. As the burdens came tumbling from her shoulders, I started crying. I stood there for what felt like forever, finding for the first time in my life a glimpse into the heart of God. When she finally finished praying, I was just standing there. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. Startled, she asked, for how long had you been standing there? Long enough, Grandma, was my reply. That morning, aged six years old, I had my first worship session with my grandma. It was the first of many that would last a very long time. <clears throat> yes, my mom taught me how to pray and how to read my Bible, and if I wanted to go to heaven, I had to spend time with God. But was never that personal as he was when we spent time together, me and Grandma. Being raised by a single mom is not easy. My poor mother didn't have much time for us because she had to work full time. She had to travel two hours a day to work and from work, one hour every direction. And subsequently I had very little parental oversight. I didn't fit in with anyone, so if I wanted attention, I'd have to be naughty, and oh, could I be naughty. I won't go into details, because I'm pretty sure that I could still be locked up for damaging and destroying school property. I didn't do homework, because I didn't like it. I didn't study because it was a waste of time. I wasn't interested in school. But I passed all my subjects with between a C plus to an A. My highest marks were in the 90s, my lowest marks were in the 60s, and I was a menace to society. I remember one day in high school, my friends tell me that the lady in the office was looking for me because I had to go and fetch my registration forms for the second round of Mathematic Olympics. But I was bunking school. 
So the teacher in charge of the accountancy class lied and said that I went to the bathroom and that he would ask me to go see her as soon as I got back. Everybody in the class went, Teacher, why are you covering for Malian? The teacher replied, If you were as naughty as Malian, If you were as... If your marks were as good as his, I would have encouraged you to stay away as well. In other words, I don't want him in my class. Coincidentally, accounting was one of my best subjects. I got into the bad habit of skipping school by walking out of the main gate. because it was the most daring thing I could think of to do. Adrenaline started becoming my drug of choice. No, I didn't do chemical drugs. My dad was a drunk. He was a drug addict. I saw what it did to my mom, to family friends, to us. And I decided I don't want to do chemical drugs, but I had my own drugs and adrenaline was one of them. So on this particular day, I proudly told my friends that I bunk by walking out of the main gate. And they said, you won't do it. We don't believe you. So I said, watch me. We were in the economics class. And I remember throwing my bag over my shoulder, feeling proud. 45 kids watching me as I walked out the door, past the principal's office, on my way to the main gate. <clears throat> and as I reached the main gate, the deputy principal came out of the office. He screamed, hey, you. Now, I realized that if he had seen my face, he would have screamed, hey, Michael, or hey, Malian. But he did not. So I was safe. And I was not going to get into trouble today. So I made a beeline. I ran for it. Now, you know how 18-year-old boys are. I was sitting there going, I know everyone at Army Gymnasium. <laughs> nope, I did not know everyone at Army Gymnasium. I knew the names of five or six people working across the road at Army Gymnasium. I had no idea what the military base was, what they trained people to do, what their mission in life was. I knew nothing about them. So I get to the front gate and I realize with a shock, the regular forces are not standing guard today, it's the reserve force. And they don't know anyone at the base. So I can't tell them that I know the officer commanding, which I don't. 
I can't tell them that I know the two I see, which I don't. I can't tell them that I know the colonel's secretary, which at least I do. So I told them that I'm here to join the army. They said, okay, we'll take you to the duty room. Now, for those of you that have no military background, the duty room is where all visitors go when they enter a military base. It's supposed to go. So, um, I realized that the vice principal will be taken to the duty room as well. I've been on the base plenty times, enough to know how it works. So I added to my lie, I know where the lady's office is that has the registration forms. I do know, that's not a lie. But I was not planning on joining the army, well, not that day. So they walked me to Auntie Maggie's office. How did I know Auntie Maggie? Well, it's simple. Her son was in my class, if I remember correctly. That's also how I happened to know that she had gotten registration forms the day before. Great fun. I walked into her office and she looked at me and said, Malian, what are you doing here? I had been preparing for this moment. I had been dreading this moment. So I said, I'm here to join the army with as big a smile, as convincing a face as I possibly could. The only problem is she knows I'm supposed to be in school. She responds by saying, Malian, you and I both know that's not what I asked you. But sit down, have a seat. Here's a form, please fill it in. I should have known something was wrong. It was during that week that we were registering for our matric finals. I had my ID document in my pocket. And she knew it. So she insisted that I give her my ID. She went to the military police office around the corner. Had them stamp my ID, certify it. Thank you very much. And I remember her words to this very day. Don't worry, boy. I will send the papers for you. It was a beautiful Monday morning when I was skipping school because the government said I didn't have to go to school that day. I had papers calling me to Pretoria, to a place called in the native African tongue, Tabatswane. It's like the Pentagon of the United States, only a little bigger. We have a high-rise military hospital. We have the headquarters of every formation in the army. It's a small town. We even have a town hall. And we were supposed to meet at the town hall. If I remember correctly, Tapatswane is surrounded by two airfields. 
but I stand under correction of might only be one. It's a massive place. So, um, I get there and we do physicals, we do psychometric evaluation. A hint for younger listeners, if you plan on joining the military, do yourself a favor and make sure that you do not have an aptitude for violence. They want people that are not prone to run out the door and start shooting people randomly. They don't take people with an aptitude for violence. They specifically look for people who want peace. They, they want people who, who will defend their loved ones, not try to kill everyone they meet. So, I pass all the tests. Right at the end, we meet a panel of generals, and I remember thinking to myself as I walked through the door, why is a colonel chairing a meeting full of generals? Why have junior ranks sit smack bang in the middle of the assembly when the senior ranking officers need to sit and listen? Aren't, aren't the generals the bosses? But there was something else that bothered me. This gentleman that was chairing the meeting looked very, very familiar. And as I stood there, I wondered to myself, who is he? Where do I know him from? Reading the glance on my face, he answers my internal question. You're probably wondering who I am. I go Yawum, which in English is yes uncle. He looks at me and he goes, I'm not your uncle. It's Colonel to you, young man. I jumped to attention as good as a civilian boy could. And as he's glaring at me from across the room, his voice thunders further. I am the officer commanding at Army Gymnasium. My name is Colonel Antonio Bormann. Melian, I know you. I've heard about you for the past five years because I am the chairperson of the parent committee at your high school. I know that you do not do your homework. I know that you do not study. I know that you're not interested in school. I know that you have no discipline and absolutely no backbone. I will fix you. You are mine, little boy. I was trembling so bad I could feel my pants hitting my skin.
so sign update came and um we had to drive back to Pretoria even though I live in Heidelberg and I could literally cross the road as we walked into the bus reality had not yet settled in I was amongst other kids that loved weapons and loved defensive toys and were all hyper intelligent was fun driving back home with him. Then we got to the gate. One of the personnel officers that was in the bus stood up and said, boys and girls, please be quiet. Your sergeant major is standing at the gate. But as he was talking, the sergeant major opened the bus's door and let himself in. And the next moment you have this voice blowing into the bus. What he meant to say was shut the hell up! And it was quiet. You could hear a needle drop. We were yanked out of the bus. Many kids landed on their hands and feet on the tar road. Put into two straight lines and um, we had dogs from the bomb squad come and investigate our bags to make sure that we weren't carrying explosives or firearms. Of course, everyone's moms and dads packed boltong, dried wash. Okay, that is Cherokee and what would we call dried wash in English? There's no name for it. It's a South African dish. Cookies, biscuits, chocolates, all kinds of nice stuff into their bags because that's what mommies and daddies do. Doggies like special treats too. The doggies faithfully removed all the special treats and we watched as um, the doggies ate it. Welcome to the world of adults. It was not the most fun day of my life. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. But one thing that went right was we walked into the hall. And after being taught how to all sit down and stand up at exactly the same time, we must have practiced 30 times before we got it right. Colonel Antonio Borman walked in and we were told to stand up and everybody stood up at the same time, really fast. And then we sat down at the same time and the colonel smiled and looked at the sergeant majors and the captains and the majors and the sergeants and went, congratulations, I, I see you've managed to get them to do something right. And then he started talking. Boys and girls, I want to welcome you to Army Gymnasium. This is the most elite training unit in the South African National Defense Force. When the president chooses to use the junior leadership training facilities 
at this base, he selects the best the army has to offer. Once ever so often he chooses 18 year old pupils from high school to do basic training here as junior leaders. The reason why he elects to do this is because we need future colonels and generals that are young enough to go out into the field and make an active difference. The average age of a general around the planet Earth is 70 to 80 years old. We don't want 70 to 80 year old commanders. We want younger generals. So you have been chosen to be the future of this organization. Your military career will be fast-tracked by decades. If you are here and you become an officer, I can guarantee you that you will become at least a colonel in your lifetime. And if you work hard enough, you will become a colonel within the next 20 years. I'm sitting across the road from the base recording this message. Our current commander at Army Gymnasium is a female student who did her basic training at Army Gymnasium in 1999. She became commander in the year 2019. She reached her colonel rank, full colonel, two stars, within 20 years. That's a massive achievement. To command the base in charge of all of the ranks in the entire South African National Defence Force is an even bigger achievement. Everyone knows she will become a general. It's a question of one, when, not if. So when you get to Army Gymnasium, you work harder than anyone else. You study harder than anyone else. You exercise harder than anyone else. You live, eat, sleep, and dream training. And that is what we did. But I am a Seventh-day Adventist. I remember two weeks before basic training started, my mom said, Michael, did you tell them you're an Adventist? And I said, yeah, it was on my CV that I handed in. Michael, did you ask them if you can keep the Sabbath? No, but I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll figure it out. I mean, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Michael, most people don't know what Seventh-day Adventists are. So I walked across the road. And I went to have a chat with the first officer I could find. He was a lieutenant. He was the officer on duty. Of course you can keep your Sabbath. It won't be a problem. What does he know? He doesn't even know how Jews keep the Sabbath. A Seventh-day Adventist is basically a modified Jew that believes in Jesus. So my first Sabbath on base, we are told to fall in for breakfast. Fall in, fall in, everybody's screaming, fall in. When your instructors in the military shot something, you repeat the order. And as the order rings through the bungalow, everybody starts running and kids tie their shoelaces and 
you've got two to three minutes to be in the squad and it takes us seven minutes to get into the squad we're new in the military we are now known as recruits not soldiers and as kids that have now been in the military for about three days we don't adhere to strict protocol we fall into the squad incorrectly so the sergeant major looks at us and goes because you did not fall into the squad correctly you will now run to the gate and back gate is two kilometers away so we ran two kilometers down the hill back up the hill and i was moaning and groaning i don't like running on sabbath we fell into the squad incorrectly again. And again we went down the hill and back up the hill. And before we ran to the gate the third time, I remember the sergeant major saying, if you do not fall into the squad correctly when you come back the next time, I will make you crawl to the gate and back. You guessed what happened next. Now, boys and girls, you will crawl to the gate, and you will crawl on the tar road. I remember deciding that this was it. I was not going to have this. It is Sabbath. They can mess with me when it's not Sabbath. Today is Jesus' day, and I'm going to go back to the bungalow. Even if I have to miss breakfast, I'm going to go read my Bible. I'm going to go pray. I want to spend time with Jesus, okay? This is not the army's day. For those of you that are not familiar with Department of Defense protocol, when you sign a contract to go work for the um, army, you uh, sign a contract that... Uh, says that you do not have the right to live. You sacrifice your rights. All of them. In the name of the safety and security of your family and friends. You have the right to die when called upon. I, I knew that. Was part of the contract that I kind of liked that, that spoke to me. I'm a selfless, caring person, even though I'm a terrorist. What I did not think about was what I was doing to my religious rights. So I gave one step forward, crunched my right foot as hard as I could into the ground, stretched my arms down beside my body, clenched down on my fists, straightened my arms, and said, Sergeant Major, I'm sorry, I don't leopard crawl on Sabbath. <laughs> you should have seen my Sergeant Major's face. He turned the discomforting shade between black, 
purple, blue, red in the face at the same time. I distinctly remember looking at his face and going, this man looks like a rainbow. Oh, and he's Caucasian. There, there were marks of blue as well. The rage, the anger. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Then he opened his mouth. Get yourself over against that wall before I kill you, boy! I thought I was trembling badly when Colonel Borman told me that I was his and that he was going to help me grow up. I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. Yeah. Oh, the story gets better. He... was wearing a tracksuit, unitrack suit, but um, he couldn't appear before the commanding officer in a unitrack suit, so he asked the lieutenant standing close by if I think he was Alpha 1's commander. I was an Alpha 2, but he was kind of doing the job with three lieutenants that weekend because the other two wanted a bit of a break. So Lieutenant Clady walks me a kilometer and a half to the company head oh sorry from the company headquarters to the unit headquarters. And while walking he asks me, so Michael, what is it that makes you different? from the rest of Christendom. Now I love God with all my heart and all my soul. He's all I ever had in my life. So I very excitedly started explaining to him the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, how the Roman Catholic Church changed Sabbath to Sunday. Yeah, I had absolutely no tact back then. I stepped on everyone's toes and I didn't care. As we reached the company, oh, as we reached the unit headquarters. I remember him turning to me and saying, boy, I get the impression that God is with you and that I shouldn't argue with you, but just so we're on the same page and you understand me, I'm a Roman Catholic. When it rains, it pours. <laughs> as you can figure out by now. My first week in the army was not my best, but it would not be my last either. So I walk into the colonel's office and the colonel goes, Malian, didn't take that long to get you here. The lieutenant goes, you know him, sir? The colonel chuckles. Lieutenant just looks at the colonel and goes, Colonel, he has something he wants to talk to you about. He excuses himself out of the room. Malian, what's wrong? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, Colonel. 
I know Melian. I want to keep the seventh kernel. I'll see what I can do, Melian. By the end of the day, I had a special order that gave me permission to virtually anything I wanted on Sabbath. But every Sabbath we had a different problem. And I'll skip through most of them, I'll stick to the most important ones. So after basic training, we are informed that we missed a class. They have a lot of work to do, and um, in a normal military base, they have a lot of work to do. The unit commander at Army Gymnasium, if I understand correctly, meets with the president once a month. He needs to prepare reports. The president wants to see how every student is doing. And there is, on a good day, between three to 400 students there. There's the 60, oh, the 60, 60 junior leaders that just finished high school. Then there is a group of warrant officers training to become senior warrant officers or full warrant officers. There's an officer formative corps. There's a non-commissioned officers corps. There's a lot that happens at Army Gymnasium. We were doing basic training and they discovered that because safety level one isn't part of basic training, we had skipped that, so we had to work it in outside of the normal curriculum. So they slotted it in three hours on a Sabbath morning. Obviously, I went to church. When I got back, I was placed under bungalow arrest because they didn't want any sensitive information to leak out of the class. Um, I didn't have a textbook. I wasn't in the class. So three o'clock that afternoon, they bring me the test and say, now you're right. I go, <laughs> why don't you understand? It's, it's Sabbath. I don't write tests on Sabbath. So, 7 o'clock that night, I write the test. And guess who is my facilitator? You guessed it. It's my favorite lieutenant, the Roman Catholic. He sat there, marking tests while I filled in mine. By now you had figured out that... You had to watch the instructors to improve your chances of doing well. Because they were training you to be an instructor. So I took note of what my leaders were doing at any given stage of the day. But I was not the best chameleon on earth. I could not watch everyone, ever. So I tried to remember what my captain and my lieutenants and my sergeants and my staff sergeant and my soldier major was doing on the shooting range while we were shooting. But I left blank spaces ranging in size from a quarter of a page to half a page between my answers. It took me about 10 minutes to fill out the papers. 
And when I was done, Lieutenant Clyde looked up and said, Let's see how much you scored on your paper. And he started marking. I stopped breathing. It took him about five minutes to f complete marking the first paper. It took him roughly the same amount of time to finish marking the second page of my paper. I watched him read through the third page, the fourth page, and I had no idea what he was reading because I did not fill in as much as he was reading. I did not score 94 for that paper. I know it. But that's what he gave me. 94%. Every Sabbath day the kids would practice for what we call in Afrikaans the Fassbite. In English we translate it into sink your teeth in and hold on. The exercise is the culmination of the junior leader training. If you want to rank in the defense force, you know you're going to walk the LDP, Leadership Development Program, the fast bait. I grew up hearing legends about this walk, about soldiers that went on it, hurt themselves so badly that when they took their boots off, the sole of their foot came off with their boot. Horror stories of snake bites and ticks crawling up places where you don't want to know they've been. Of people getting so hungry that they catch the rats in the field and they have to eat them. Oh, you mention the LDP in my culture and people's skin start crawling. This is where boys turn into men. You walk 60 kilometers far over three days. No, it's 70 kilometers far over three days with a 60 kilogram backpack on your back. That's excluding your ammunition, excluding your food, excluding your water. So it's closer to 70 kilo oh, kilograms. And the walk itself, oh there's an extra 10 kilo kilometers knitted into the back that nobody talks about. If you know about enough about the South African army, you know about the little nasty surprise at the end. But you don't talk about it. I never practiced to walk the LDP. I never put the big bag on my back because every Sabbath morning I went to church while the rest of the kids were walking with this incredibly heavy bag on their backs. So about a month before we start walking, the highlight of our training, the president has a meeting with Colonel Antonio Borman. I was not there. I only heard about this meeting from a third party that heard about it from a second party. Now the president asked the colonel how each of the kids are doing and they discussed each of the 60, 70 
18-year-old kids by name. And my name popped up, and the colonel had to admit that I had not yet broken, that I was still holding on to things, that in fact I had never even practiced for the LDP. <laughs> now to give you a rough idea, if memory serves me correctly, our contract value that year was something between 100 and 200,000 rand. That means that the president is committing between 100 and 200,000 rand from his own budget. This is not DOD budget. This is special budget. The military does not pay for the training of the 60 to 70 former matriculants. The president's paying it. And he's doing it because he believes in us, because he wants us to become future colonels and generals. And the officer commanding of this elite base has to admit that I will not do what they tell me to do. One of the things that you do not want to do in life is to kick off the president of your country. He is the most powerful person in your country and he can make your life really, really uncomfortable. And my life became really, really uncomfortable. My friends were standing guard outside the headquarters in the field of my military base. And when they changed the guard, One kid comes running to me and goes, Malian, you're dead. I'm liking what's going on. The president told the colonel to sort you out. And the colonel was screaming at Donovan, that's my soldier major, in a meeting was screaming so loud we could hear him where we were standing guard they're going to sort you out they're going to break you now military training is bad enough as it is try standing up for your faith life becomes somewhat more difficult and now they're going to go through some extra trouble to make my life extra fun for the next three weeks, the sun set on planet Michael. You see, while you're shooting, doing a live section battle draw, you have two sections in wait. One is loading their firearms, getting ready for the next section battle draw. And I am not allowed to discuss details here because this voice recording is going international. But the other section would be resting, because we don't just shoot when we do a section battle draw. We have strategies that we employ that takes the mickey out of anyone dumb enough to oppose us. So when you're done with the section battle draw, you're dead, you're tired, you need to rest for at least 20 minutes to half an hour before you can do this again. Oh, someone forgot to tell my instructors that, because as we were heading back up Demo Hill to watch the next section do their 
exercise. Somebody goes, somebody shot on automatic during our exercise. Who was that? Another instructor hollers over my head. Wasn't it Malian? We'll need to teach Malian to be safer. We don't want to kill our own people, do we? Malian, do you see that bush over there? Go! Run! You have two minutes. And as you get back, you realize the bush is too far to run to in two minutes. Let alone get there and back in two. I never stopped running during those three weeks. On Sabbaths, I rested. But the rest of the week, I got pushed around so badly that my fitness levels went through the roof. So on Wednesday afternoon, after we had finished training, we had our daily meeting in which we were discussing our orders and plans for the next day. Boys and girls, on Friday morning, you will start walking the LDP. You'll have the rest of the week off to prepare. Tomorrow morning you will be briefed with regards to how you will prepare your bag before walking. We expect you to do everything as explained, because if you have one shoelace, that is at the wrong place in your bag. It's going to cut into your back and it's going to destroy you. I'm sorry, Major. You will not see me walking the LDP. I don't exercises on Sabbath. I wasn't there for the meetings the next day. But they had meetings. Everybody was ready to leave on Friday morning. But the orders never came. So they lay waiting. 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 By 8 o'clock Friday morning it had become apparent that nothing was happening. The whole base had an extra day off. This does not happen in a military training exercise. Saturday morning came and went. So did Sunday. When Sunday morning awoke, I realized that <laughs> I was about to have my life changed forever. I was going to walk the leadership development program. The boy was dying. 
I was about to become a man. And I was scared. The impossible had happened. So Sunday evening, we had orders. We rechecked our bags, and this was the first time I learned how to pack my bag. I watched the other kids put the bag on their backs. You go and you lie down on the bag, strap yourself in, roll over with this massive bag on your back while you're lying on your tummy. And then you push yourself up. Pull your knees in underneath yourself. And slowly lift yourself off the ground until you're high enough to put your hands on your knees and then you push your body up from your knees. Friends would help each other up. Full weight, the bag can weigh up to 70 kilograms. You're going to walk unofficially 80 kilometers far with this bag on your back during three days. You're going to do firing and movement exercises with this bag on your back. You are going to do medical training drills with this bag on your back. Yeah. Welcome to the army. I remember going to bed that night. And as I closed my eyes, I whispered a prayer. Dear Jesus, everyone's looking at me. I'm the odd one out. I'm the guy standing up for what I believe. It's not about me. This is about you. They know I can't do it. There's no way in hell that I'm going to finish this exercise. I've never had the bag on my back. Dear Jesus, I can't do it. But they're watching me. I'm sorry. They're watching me. Everyone on the base is watching me. This is up to you. I'm going to try. I'm going to give it my best shot, but I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fail. But you're a god. You can do the impossible. Please carry me. He did. I will never forget my Sergeant Major's face when I finished. I will never forget 
these first words to me. Have you thanked the big guy yet? He understood. He knew exactly what had happened. The irony of the matter is we finished on the Wednesday. Wednesday evening we start practicing for a night parade to get our ranks. It was the most beautiful event I had ever witnessed in my life. We had at this stage been joined by 140 standard force members who were selected to do junior leadership with us after we had completed basic training. So we now had two companies that combined had a strength of I think it was 213 members. Of them we had managed to qualify just over 210 kids that would receive rank. We had sergeants who were going to become candidate officers. We had staff sergeants. We had one sergeant major. Actually, I think we had one formational sergeant major who was going to become a colonel. If memory serves me right, but I might be wrong on that one. Anyway, so we had a huge crowd of people that were getting rank. Now, the oath of an officer anywhere on planet Earth states that I, the President of the Republic of South Africa, in my case, give you command of my troops. When you get your commission The president has to be there. It's not a possibility. It's compulsory. The president commissions you to become a military officer. For that reason, the president of the South of the Republic of South Africa attends two to three, sometimes four, parades at Army Gymnasium every year. They are not always held in Heidelberg. They are often held at the training bases, which will remain unnamed for security reasons. You practice quite a bit for a parade before you do the actual parade because when you have a dignitary everything needs to be perfect. So after our first practice that night my company commander Major Fitzpatrick's walks up to me and goes Malian the way in which he's talking told me everything I needed to know. 
I closed my eyes and I felt a tear flowing down my cheek. And I said, I'm sorry, Major. He said, Malian, you don't want to do this. As he was talking, the colonel walks in behind him and goes, Malian, you have to be at the parade Friday night. You have to. For those of you that don't understand the faith of the Seventh-day Adventist, we keep Sabbath from sunset to sunset. I had done so much for God that year. I could not let him down now. Michael, the President of the Republic, this coming year, to shake your hand, to give you a rank. Do you understand the implications? Do you have any idea what you're doing to the most powerful man in the country? I had an idea. Michael, we've protected you up to now. I can't remember who was talking at this stage. I just remember the words. But after today, there is nothing that we can do for you. You're on your own. This man has the ability to destroy your life. He can throw you in jail for what you're about to do. I beg you, Michael, please don't do it. I remember looking up at them and going, if I have to fear a human being this much, how much more should I fear God? was Wednesday evening. Friday evening found me sitting under a tree. I had taken out my Bible to read. I closed my eyes and started praying. Now, those of you that know South Africa know that Pretoria never has rain during the winter, especially not thunderstorms. 
This is July. I'm in Pretoria. Perhaps now would be a good time to add that um, the South African Defence Force controls the weather services in South Africa. They have more detailed knowledge than the knowledge that they give you on TV every night. So, when we talk about the possibility of rain at a date that was selected by the Defence Force to have a parade on where the President of the Nation is supposed to be, you're talking about the possibility of something really, really impossibly small happening. It was never going to rain. And as I started praying, I remember before closing my eyes, seeing the first stars come out. The skies were clear. There wasn't a breeze in the air. And I closed my eyes and I started praying. A sudden gush of wind blew in, and the next moment there were drops of water all around me, thunderbolts, lightning. I grabbed my gun, I grabbed my gear, and I ducked in under a truck to stay dry and to keep my firearm dry. Oh, I think I had the light machine gun with me as well. Apparently, the Minister of Defence phoned the President and told him it's raining. The President wasn't too happy. Told the Minister of Defence to give the kids their ranks. He'd come and eat with us later that year. We got back to Army Gym. Oh, um, when my company commander and company soldier major got back to the base, everything was wet. They'd already sent all non-essential equipment back to Army Gymnasium. We would follow on Monday or Tuesday. But now everyone was wet. Everything they had was wet. There were no tents. We were going to sleep under the stars for three nights. That's pretty normal in the military. Um, Donovan didn't want to sleep in a wet uniform. He wanted to go home. So did Fitzpatrick. So um, they organized some buses and in the middle of the night we bussed back to Heidelberg. Got here at 2 o'clock in the morning. First thing I did was pick up the phone, call my mom and say, Mommy, I'm coming to church tomorrow morning. She's like, Michael, you're dreaming. There's no way in hell I'm driving through to Pretoria tomorrow morning. That's about 150 kilometers away from here. She puts the phone down and I go, hmm. Okay, I'll find her again tomorrow morning. Maybe it'll work better when the sun's shining. But I need clean clothing to go to church. Remember, I was lying on the dust underneath the truck. So I go looking for my bag, somewhere amongst the tons of other stuff that had been dumped on the rugby field. Soccer field, they don't have a rugby field. 
I finally found my bag after about an hour of searching. There were about 300 other bags. Dragged it back to the bungalows. And I'm searching for my cleanest pair of dirty clothing. After you stayed in the field for two months without a washing machine, everything is dirty. So I started hand washing a pair of dirty clothing so that I could go to church. You see, you have to wear your military uniform when you leave the base, and it has to be a clean one. Obviously, by five o'clock that morning, you realize that your military uniform, which is now clean, is pretty wet. That's not a problem. Any soldier will tell you. An iron? Wet clothing? Give me an hour. It'll be dry, and it'll look as good as new. As I was about to put the iron down behind me, I heard a set of boots coming down the passage towards me. You're a soldier and you spend a lot of time around some really good soldiers and you start listening to how people walk and you get to the point where you can tell the average weight, height, build of a person based on their footsteps. You get to know the people well enough and you know who walks in the right way and I've heard these footsteps before. Since the Adventists don't work on Sabbath. Colonel Borman was only in my bungalow once that year. It was on a Sabbath morning, while I had an iron in my hand. I didn't know what to say. I was so scared. I had let God down. I didn't turn around. I didn't face him. The rest of the kids had gone to find food in the mess. I can still hear his voice like it was yesterday going, Melian, what are you doing? Stretched out my arms beside me. Swung around in one swift movement. Smacked my boot into the ground. Raised my hand to my brow and saluted the colonel. I'm preparing clothing to go to church, Colonel. Your guards will not let me through the main gate without clean clothing. I understand, son. He smiled. I have something for you. I think you deserve this more than anyone else I've ever met. Congratulations, Candidate Officer Melian. I stood there trembling, tears running down my face. I did not deserve that.
When my mom got to the gate, she asked me, did you go to the parade last night? No, mommy, I did not. Were you in trouble, Michael? No, <laughs> mommy. <laughs> I'm not in trouble. What happened, Michael? I don't know, Mommy. I have no idea. That was not the highlight of my military career. A week before passing out parade, the Roman Catholic lieutenant walks up to me. Malian, lieutenant. I watched you pray before you wrote that test. Yes, Lieutenant. I don't know what happened that day, son, but I know you should not have scored 94. Neither do I, Lieutenant. Valiant, I'm rating safety level 3 today. I didn't have enough time to study. Would you pray for me? Yes, Lieutenant, I will pray for you. Lieutenant Lari scored 94% for his safety level 3 test. He came to tell me that in person. That was the year 2001. It feels like the first year of my life. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the dates, but it's somewhere around 2009-2010 that I get the impression that I should pray for my Sergeant Major. I did. But I thought it was silly because I hadn't seen him in eight years and years. That was the Friday morning. Unbeknown to me, his wife had gone on a course, and as he later relates to me, he says, Michael, I was wondering to myself why I had to pay for the course, because the government always pays for the courses. But I said, okay, and I paid for the course. I got home on the Thursday morning, and as I was about to put my laptop down on the table to start work, I realized there was something underneath my laptop, so I looked down and I saw this rock lying where my laptop was, and I moved the stone and put my laptop down. And the next morning the same thing happened, and as I moved the stone, I looked at my wife and I said, Honey, why is there a rock going where I want to put my laptop? And his wife turns to him and says, Love, it's not a rock, it's a crystal, and it's there to bless your presence in the house. I did not know, but Donovan Clarkson's dad is a Seventh-day Adventist, which is half the reason why I turned blue and black and red, purple, green, all those beautiful rainbow colors at the same time when I told him I'm not ever calling. His mom and dad got divorced when he was age six, seven, around there, and he'd never been to church again. So, um... On this specific morning, 
he's sitting there and he realizes that there's something supernatural going on. People don't worship rocks for the fun of it. They, they, they worship it because they believe there is magical energy, power, something that comes out of these rocks. And, well, Satan's real. If you read your Bible, the Magi in Egypt turned their staves into snakes as well. They turned water into blood as well. They copied the first two plagues. The third one, they come to Pharaoh and they say, you're dealing with a living God. We can't do this. Satan's powerful. He can do things. Donovan knows it. And he realizes that God doesn't work through crystals. So it's got to be the enemy. The enemy is in his house. So he stands up and he starts collecting crystals. And he's walking through the house and he's collecting crystals. Opens the front door, chucks them out of the house and he goes, Hun, you're sleeping at the military base tonight. Got divorced shortly thereafter. Went to work that morning, had the worst day of his life. And there's a kid that hasn't seen him in ages that's praying for him. And the next morning he's sitting there in the house and he's like, in this place is haunted, the devil's here, I don't want to be here. In the back of his mind he starts thinking about me. <laughs> Thinks to himself, well, I need a Bible. So he goes looking for a Bible and he finds a Bible in the house. It's the Sabbath morning. The only reason... The only reason why this is happening on Sabbath is because he's not working today. So he gets into the car and he takes a drive. And he doesn't know where he's going. Now, anyone that knows Sedaven will understand this concept. Okay, Sedaven is seven kilometers outside Heidelberg. You need to turn off on a road leading into the hills. There's nothing. It's a farm with a camping area. He's never been there before in his life. He doesn't even know into which direction the Seventh-day Adventist Church is if he chose to go to a Seventh-day Adventist Church. But that's not on his mind. He just wants to get away from home. So he starts driving and when he looks up, he's parked in front of Sedaven. And again, he thinks about me and he wonders, I wonder if Michael's here. I don't know about any of this, okay? And as far as I'm concerned, this guy's the demon himself. He's the Prince of Darkness. He gave me hell for trying to keep Sabbath. So, um... <laughs> I'm walking with my ex-girlfriend up the staircase. Now, as you walk into the church at the back, there is a divider that keeps the person preaching from looking out into the street and from keeping the people on the street looking at the preacher.
we walked up around the left hand side of the divider and the next moment I'm standing beneath the staircase and I'm looking up the stairs and I'm wondering wasn't I just in where's my girlfriend wait what my girlfriend's standing on top of the staircase she comes out to church she looks at me she's like and Michael what's going on and I'm like in I don't know and I realized to myself I just turned around and ran out of the church what on earth's going on she's got this confused expression on her face and I realized there's something very 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 wrong in my church I walk up the staircase and I go hun sweetie Um, please come sit next to me. She's like, Michael, I always sit next to you. I'm like, yeah, but sweetie, um, today, I'm not going to hold your hand. We're not going to be romantic. We're not going to whisper. We're, we're just going to sit still and we're going to be very, very quiet. She looks at me, she goes, Michael, you're scaring me. What's going on? Sweetie, I'm scared. What do you mean you're scared? I don't know. So we walked into the church. Three rows from the back, we turned right, moved past a visitor, I sat down next to him, greeted him, Sergeant Major, he turns to me and he goes, Malian, I'm not a Sergeant Major anymore, and I go, yes, Sergeant Major. Luce goes, Mommy, Mommy, that's Michael Soldier Major, that's Michael Soldier Major. I go, shh, shh, shh. Luce's mom goes, we need to invite him for lunch. I go, no, 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 shh. Fortunately, he vanished before they could speak to him. The next week he wasn't there and I felt bad for not inviting him. The week after that, he came back. He had lunch with us. And, um... I was standing in the door. Just looking at him, sitting there, and I'm like, no. How is this possible? And everything inside of me goes, you know how this is possible. You have a God, a living God. I'm looking at him and I go, Sergeant Major. He goes, Malian, please call me Donovan. Yes, Sergeant Major. <laughs> Malian, what is it? 
Can I ask you one question, Sergeant Major? Sure, Malian. That weekend before the LDP, that Friday morning when we were supposed to start walking, what happened? Why did the orders change? Why didn't we start walking? Melian, why are you asking me? You know what happened. I don't. I was a spectator that year. I was watching from the sidelines in a show that I used to run. I have no idea what happened. I think you do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I have messed up so badly. I've hurt you so badly. I've done so many wrong things in my life. And despite all of that, I have had the honor to see your love, your care, and your grace. I have testified before heads of state, before ministers, before people that had ranks high above my own. And I was the weakest. I did not deserve a rank. I did not deserve anything you did for me. Father, I pray that you will touch the hearts and the minds of the people listening to my testimony. Allow them to see your goodness, your greatness. Let Michael vanish. Allow them to see the God of the impossible. Reach into their darkness and set alight their lives. Teach them to trust like you taught me. Help them to see that you want to walk with them today. This is my prayer in your namesake alone. Amen.